This is the Solutions for Climate Revolution podcast. My name is Francesca and my guest today is Mark Buckley. Mark is pioneering sustainable agriculture, food and beverage production through the Alohas Eco Centre to show the world how food production can and should be done to combat climate change and the freshwater crises. You have been trained by Al Gore as a climate speaker and been a country coordinator for Vice President Gore's Climate Reality Project. You speak on the world stages, inspiring a vision of a resilient, sustainable and prosperous future as a World Economic Forum expert and passionate advocate of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. You emphasize to us all what we can achieve when we work together. You are also a faculty adjunct and university lecturer, resilient futurist, sustainable futurist and sustainable innovator. Mark, you have multiple degrees. You've studied computer science, criminal law, business and rethinking food. You have most recently been to MIT and held and previously graduated summa cum laude. You are an activist and TEDx speaker and you attended the United Nations Climate Conferences and an author of the new book, Menu B, People and Planet, Saving Food Solutions. That is coming out this year, I believe. In 19- yeah, it'll be out in June. Yeah, wonderful. In 1969, when man went into outer space on a journey to the moon, the Apollo crew accidentally took a picture of Earth. You speak of this accidental picture of our magnificent home suspended in the darkness of space, representing a pivotal turning point in humanity's perspective of ourselves. Not only initiating initiating innovation, but curiosity in how we can do things better. In light of our new status quo during this pandemic, how can we use this break from the rat race to re-realize the beauty of our planet, have gratitude for our precious resources, and rebuild with a vision of prosperity? Well, that's beautiful. Thanks for the introduction. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Is there, what would you, how, how do you, I can say with confidence that I am a firm believer that we have all the technology we need right now today to solve the climate and water crisis with technologies that have been held back due to the ease of running conventional systems and supply chains. Could you shed Uh some, some light on why you think innovations have been held back and how young people can contribute to promoting the technologies that are the solution, not the pollution? Well, this is a unique time and it's really a, a super opportunity for us to take a pause and, and have a reset. I believe that there is a lot of big history and wisdom in the past that is um, important for us to know and understand our world so that we don't repeat some of the same mistakes of the past. Um, and when I show that image of, of our planet Earth, the Earthrise photo or the blue marble, which are the catalog images of our Earth, I, I do it for a purpose because I want to have everybody connect themselves to our planet and realize that we're an integral part uh, of this beautiful place we live uh, as kind of a symbiotic Earth or as 
instead of homo sapiens, we're part of homo symbios, we're an integral part of our world in that um, what we do and how we act and how we work on this planet not just only affects humanity, it affects our environment and other species. And um, there's a delicate balance in play each and every day on this world. And, and to make a not only a renewable transition, but a clean tech revolution, a clean technology transition into the future, those people who are leaders, who are truly uh, climate activists who've been doing this for a long time, in this time of the COVID pandemic, are those leaders who are trying to help other people. They are still working. They're still busy because they've been living in the future. They've been living resilient and sustainable. And now they've got the, the tools and the knowledge and the wherewithal to help others around them. Um, I want to give you maybe a controversial leader um, example. So Elon Musk, he um, many years ago started his vision and dream of a renewable energy transition. And really what it is is a sustainable future. So he wants us to transition to other sources besides fossil fuels. He wants us to think ways to live and work and, and deal in the future. Um, and yes, he, he's doing SpaceX, trying to go to the moon. And maybe he wants to go to the moon and take others with him, but I, or not to the moon, but to Mars, sorry. But his objective is to get us into the future by using clean technology and emerging technologies that are better, more efficient operating systems for us to, to reach resilient, desirable futures and to quit damaging and harming our planet. So in this time of lockdown and COVID, um, you know what he's doing? Elon Musk is donating FDA, FDA approved respirators to people in need uh, in the hundreds. Um, why? He does electric vehicles and batteries and, and solar and, and um, going to space. Why is he delivering respirators? Because he's a, he's a leader. He cares about people. He knows that because he's been working and living in, in the future and thinking about the future and where we need to be, he has now the infrastructure, the wherewithal, the tools that he can help others. He can help those in need and transition industry from maybe producing stuff for capital or profit or for whatever, to use that as a good to help humanity come out of a crisis, but also to help us to start thinking about the future and how to be better prepared for it. One interesting thing is there's another leader, it also could be controversial, Jeff Bezos. He, um, his companies are still working. Amazon is still delivering packages. The reason why is most of his warehouses are fully automated. They're using a chaotic warehousing system. The way he structured his company to work and operate is that there is distance between employees, there's digitization, automation, and then they give the package to the logistic, to the delivery driver who can wear a mask and gloves, 
and he drives alone in a car to deliver the packages. And so there is that quarantine or that distance and, and we can still get goods and products and toilet paper and whatever we need. The Gigafactory from Elon is still running because it's automated and it's mechanized. It's, a, uh, it's a, the work of the future um, because of the way the distance and the way people work and the way it's a, a respectable work of the future. And uh, not everything can be done like that. Um, food is very difficult, um, but even food has been drastically affected at this point in time for the COVID. And um, it's the world's oldest economy, the most longest running successful economy in the world. And in 12,000 years that it has been around, even if we talk about the last 200 years of that industry, there's only been six innovations and we're still functioning and operating in the dark ages in that industry. And so we need to kind of have a mind shift and understand big history and to, to move into these different perspectives. And uh, if you're a student or someone who's learning those things, you need to pull the fact from the fiction um, and really understand the big history of our world and then start not just talk about it, but start living in the future. What do you need to do to prepare yourself to live in resilient, desirable future so that when something like this occurs, that you're still gonna be functioning, doing fine, operating well. And I hope that kind of answered your question. If not, I can go into more detail. No, I think, I think that's lovely. I love what you said about um, living in the future. This, it's, it's something that I've, I'm realizing sort of more and more each day having a, a focus and a perspective of the future in mind and living in my present future rather than my present past it's helping me make choices that well, has been helping me make choices for the last decade since I started my journey to contribute to eradicating emissions and basically solving climate change and it's it, it's such an incredible perspective change and I think the Aloha Eco Centre is this holistic turnkey carbon negative zero waste energy generating virtual and uh, vertical farming masterpiece and I just think it's 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 driving us and pushing us in the direction of of where we need to be like you said it's there's been 12,000 years of agriculture and minimal innovation could you expand on on your journey from your family's organic hydroponic and um background to your experience at Kauschwitz in California and how that got you to where you are today? Sure. So um, again, it's a, it's a part of big history. It's a part of my big history. I'm um, a true global citizen from the moment I was born. I was born to an American father and a German mother, um, a German grandfather and a Austrian grandmother and I have relatives from all over Europe and all over the world and so right from my birth I became a global citizen traveling uh, to different countries and different languages and <clears throat> that's one of the reasons I'm in Hamburg, Germany um, because of my European connections and, and businesses but it's this understanding that not only being global citizen, the first energy source and requirement when we're born onto this planet 
is the need for energy. And our energy source as human beings is food. It's breathing food and water. And as a baby, it's a, it's a, a milk and, and the nourishment as a baby that you get that way. And then eventually the, the needs become more where you need uh, solid food and, and, and water to sustain yourself, to keep your body temperature regulated, to keep your battery and your energy at a level that you can function as a human being. And so it's, it plays the most vital and integral part in a human being's life. And in my life, it's played a huge part. Not only is uh, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, the basic of that pyramid is our physiological needs of breathing food and water. But I was fortunate enough to grow up in six generations of organic farmers, Germany's largest organic farms and Europe's third largest organic farms and to have a, a great hydroponic and um, what in Germany they call hydrocultural back, background. It's basically um, the hanging gardens of Babylon in, in, uh, in a type of a nursery greenhouse setting that are done with lava rocks and nutrient film technologies and different methods to grow plants and vegetables without soil uh, in a greenhouse environment. And so I, uh, and that, that's a, a four generation uh, family business from one of my aunts on, on a gentleman that she married. And so I always had this tie to food, but I've also always been a foodie. I love food, I love to eat. I love different cultural foods and uh, traveling around the world and seeing how that ties not only families together, communities together, but it ties our, our world together. I'll be here in Hamburg and have people tell me about fabulous um, Turkish food or Thai food, um, you know, and I was just recently in the United States for some events with Al Gore, matter of fact, and, nice. uh, you know, talk of... Mexican food and, and, and different Argentinian food and, and different options. And it's just such an, an integral part of our daily lives. There, there are some, some issues though. So the, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I have adult children now. I'm actually a grandfather and my family, when, when we were younger, I used to take my children a lot to, uh, or not a lot, to visit family in California. And when we were there, uh, kids loved to go to uh, Disneyland and Universal Studios and to the, you know, um, Knott's Berry Farms, the theme parks. That was the big thing uh, when they were younger. And we went there again. So my family is all grown up now. And, and um, I remember what it was like when they were younger. And uh, I went there back in 2014 and uh, took an, an adult family there on a trip and went through the Central Valley of California to Universal Studios and to different areas on that. And I saw the drought and the devastation. I saw the... Um, extreme changes from when I had gone there when my kids were younger or when I was younger, um, every rest stop that we went to, 
every bathroom that we went to at Universal Studios had a, a Sharpies container in it. It's a red plastic container for people who have diabetes. Um, I saw the drought and the signs posted by the farmers that uh, uh, about the drought and about the problems. Central Valley is the United States' biggest uh, not only fruit and vegetable growing area to supply the United States with a, a big portion of the food that is produced in the United States. And they were experiencing a drought um, and it was getting worse and it's even worse today. Mm -hmm. But on this drive down the Central Valley, so there's all sorts of ties to food, diabetes and asthma and other mm -hmm. problems and people needing Sharpie containers. When I was young, there was, I didn't know what a Sharpie container was mm -hmm. for insulin shots or for asthma inhalers or for, for whatever. And uh, I was seeing them everywhere. So I knew we were in a pandemic of diabetes and obesity and asthma and other problems because the health of humanity was getting worse. But then on this drive down the Central Valley, I was hit in the face with a stench so enormous of manure, of cow uh, manure. And um, it choked me. I, I, I thought I was going to gag. I thought I was going to throw up. It just took my breath away. It was like this wall. And I, I've been in places where coal mining towns or places where fossil fuels or coal industry uh, greenhouse gas emissions have been overwhelming that it chokes your breath. This methane, which is also a greenhouse gas emission, hit me so hard I started choking, I started coughing, it, uh, it shocked me. I was like, how do I make it go away? And there was no way to make it go away. And so I continued to drive and it, it, it took well over five minutes um, to go away. But then the smell on my clothes and in the car, and it just wasn't fully gone. And I looked back on the internet after we'd passed and gotten to, to the place that we wanted to go to find out what that was. Uh, and and a, as we passed, I could see that it was a, a animal agriculture, big cow, uh, area where there's tons of cows uh, standing and, and on these piles of manure and it's the, the biggest uh, uh, beef ranch in, in the Central Valley and, and huge. Um, I looked it up on the internet when I got back to find out what it was or what's going on there and the Google Maps had actually allowed it to be tagged as Cowschwitz. So you've heard of Germany and Auschwitz and and the gassing of, of uh, and the problems that happened at the time of the war and horrible things, people had said that the, 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 the methane gas, this greenhouse gas was so horrific, they tagged at Kaltritz. And I, I thought that was like very crazy to, to hear and see this. But with further research, because of the drought, and because of this methane emissions and all this manure, it was contaminating the water, it was contaminating the air. The farmers around the region were dealing, drilling deeper for water, which was pulling the water out of the clay sheets between the area and turning it into a permanent drought situation. 
And it, uh, once you have those clay sheets drop upon each other and there's no more water in between them, you've got a permanent drought and it can never be recovered or rejuvenated into a vibrant area again. And uh, that was one of uh, the, the biggest sources of food for the United States. And so I began speaking then about uh, food and how it ties to us and how um, we're eating unhealthier, we have more diabetes and health problems where under, uh, you know, there can be people in the same city that are obese and malnutritioned at the same time and people who are starving in that same city at the very same time, not getting enough food. These people are getting too much food, but there's no nutrients and minerals and vitamins in that food and how our food system is broken. And so mm. I, I, I'm a global food reformist. I'm trying to globally reform our entire food system, trying to raise awareness about what's going on, what, what, what the problems are with our food system, how long it's been around, and what we can do to fix it. And there's several organizations in our world that are doing that same thing. There's tons of leaders out there. Like you said, my, my book is called Menu B. It'll be out in June. It's about People and Planet Food Saving Solutions. It's by many contributors for world food leaders, climate activists, uh, scientists, chefs who are very well versed in our food problems and in global food reform, as well as um, a lot of innovators and startups who are thinking differently about the future of food. Now, in, in this process of food and, and the problems and the situations we have, not in the US, not only in, in, in the United Kingdom, uh, in Germany, around the world. Um, it's not just about the problems and the doom and the gloom and the situations we face, but it's about the innovations, the, the, the future of food and how we get there. Well, currently uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, veganism, vegetarian, flexitarian, fruitarian, uh, ketogenic uh, diets, different types of diets, food tribes, or the foods of the future. I want you to know those are important. They're one facet of this climate-saving toolbox or problem to address the problem, um, but it's not the future of food that we need to worry about. It's how we produce. Absolutely. So the whole... The whole thing is, is how we produce food. It's not about the future of the food, uh, future of food and, you know, it's veganism or it's vegetarian or it's this product or that product. It's how we produce food, any food. It doesn't matter what it is. And it's actually more than that. It's how we produce anything, electric cars, smartphones, mm -hmm. any product in our world. If we produce it, with renewable energy, energies, with non-finite resources, so rainwater harvesting, uh, desalinization, um, ambient water harvesting, if we back it up to battery backups or use only renewable energy, if we use all the latest innovations in clean technologies and emerging technologies to produce whatever it is we produce, and in that process, we don't harm our planet, we don't harm our nutritional and mineral values of the food products we produce. We pay people a fair wage and we do fair trade and true cost. So a big thing that doesn't happen a lot in any, any products nowadays 
is to charge the true, the true environmental cost as percentage of EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And what most companies, or pretty much all the companies in our world, they don't pay the total environmental cost of those natural resources of the damage and environmental impact that they put on our planet when they produce things, and especially in the agriculture, food, and beverage industry. It's a very wicked and complex uh, system that needs to be totally reformed and improved for the livelihood of every human being because like I started out, it's our basic resource. Wow, that is, yeah, you, it's this connection, I think, that we've, we've lost with our food that is, for me, when I, when I realized that the solutions to reversing global warming and reversing inequality were the same, it really highlighted for me just how, how much we need to make sure we don't leave anybody behind when we rebuild society after, after this pandemic. When we start to recover, we have to reconnect the dots between humanity and, and profit. And I think I was, I was so chuffed when I read earlier in the year about Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, he wrote his annual letter to all the CEOs of all the investment banks and he said it's no it's no longer good enough for any company to just value profit it has to be a purpose a triple bottom line circular economics but that is where it's at if, if you don't have people exactly. you don't there isn't anything there and i just i love this i love this image in my mind of you and al gore chatting about saving the world over mexican food i think that that's amazing yeah. and it's super inspiring i think one of the one of the, pro, the steps in this school program that um, I've created is to encourage kids to empower their purchasing. And it's about spending money and voting with your feet on the products that you know that don't cost the earth. And I'm hoping to um, work towards stopping deforestation with basically by reducing the demand for the products such as beef, soybean, palm oil and unsustainable wood products that that are what's driving deforestation and empower young people to, to, to yeah, to basically, it's similar to um, WWF's off our, off our plates campaign. And I, I just, I love this idea of, of people power. You can, we can all do it. We can be the change. And I just think it, it's amazing. Absolutely. It's yeah, I think, I think those are fabulous. And I thank you for creating this and, yeah. and the world needs it. And I, I want you to know that if you put, the population of humanity into perspective, um, we could have 100,000 Al Gore's, we could have 100,000 Mark Buckley's, and we could have 100,000 Francesca's doing this, and then we would truly be making an impact and a dent in, in the scale of the problems that we're facing. We need to work together. We need to come together and we need to realize that on this earth, there is no place to hide. We yeah. all breathe the same water. We all drink, this, or drink the same water. We all breathe the same air and we all get our food from the same land. And there is no place that you can hide from climate change. And obviously there is no place that we can hide from a pandemic like this it is affecting all of us and um, there's a lot of, uh, of history that people don't know that 
um, how some of these things come about and there's a lot of fake news and we really need to be discerning. We need to really understand the truth and the numbers and how to put them into perspective. And I, I you know, you touched on something. I really want to try to give one more piece of uh, clarification around our food system. So we hear a lot about food waste and how many of you hopefully have heard before that uh, the agriculture, food and beverage industry, that everything that they produce, that 30% out of everything they produce is wasted. It doesn't make it to somebody's plate. Yeah. Awful. It's, um, yeah. One they of those... are out of the grocery store, right? Mm. Have you heard that before? I have. Yes. It's one of the, one Great. of the activities in the school program is to build a composter to build the soil. To That's fabulous. Yeah, get but the, I want you to put this number in perspective, and that's why I bring it up. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk about some of the tools and methods to reduce food waste, but I want you to understand it's not 30%. It's actually an exponential waste, and it's a lot more than 30%. So, first of all, I want to tell you, not only are the initial finite resources, the water, the harvest time, the sunlight, the the growing time of the tree, the labor, the transportation, the marketing, the shipping, all the carbon emissions, all the greenhouse gas emissions that go into making that product, all the finite resources, energy, water, uh, all those things that go into make that product, that 30% is wasted. But there's three ways in our world that we dispose of waste. The number one way is we bury it in a landfill with dirt. The number two way is we um, burn it. We take it and, and burn it. And the third way is, is we dump it in our oceans. And I want to tell you about the first way. By burying our food waste or our food that doesn't make it onto a plate or doesn't get consumed in time or, or get processed in time, we are creating the worst problem we could ever create. Because now, once we bury that with dirt, we're creating methane gas. Because when you bury a product, whether it's in packaging or not, it aggregates, it ferments, it turns into methane. And methane is 70 times more effective at trapping heat than CO2. So now, not only do we have this 30% waste, but now we've just created a 70% waste, which is 100% waste of, of resources on a finite planet that we don't have. And we've created, methane is a greenhouse gas emission, which is now creating another problem for us to deal with in the future. Because those carbon emissions, those greenhouse gas emissions that we release today, we don't see the effects of until five or 10 years down the road. And so we really need to solve that problem. And I, I get, want to put it in a perspective. If you were to ask Elon Musk, Elon, you've just produced all these electric cars, the Model 3, we want you to throw 30% of them away right away. Mm -hmm. He'd say, boy, that's a bad business model. Why would I do that? Absolutely. If you were to ask uh, um, um, the oil, coal, or gas industry, say you just pulled all this oil out of the ground, uh, offshore drilling or whatever it is, or coal out of the ground, we want you to throw 30% of it away. They'd say, what? That's the worst mistake we could ever make. That's inefficient. That's a bad business model. But in the agriculture, food, and beverage industry, we've been doing it for years. 
So what can you do as a student? What can you do at home in an apartment or at home with your family? Well, you can eat leftovers. You can, what you buy, if, if you know you're not going to be able to eat it in time, you could dehydrate it. You could ferment it. You could uh, blend it into a shake. You could freeze it. You could flash freeze it. You could do so many things that you could use that product in the fir first place so that it doesn't go to waste. That would be great. I want to let you know that there's a lot of blame put on the consumer. So I think the things, the individual things you do at home are important and it's good to place your money in other in places and set the right example and learn how to live resilient and sustainability and not be wasteful. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. But the true waste initially comes on the farm and in the production. It's not at the consumer. Most consumers don't buy stuff especially in this day and age, take it home and then just throw it away. That's not how it happens. Uh, uh, that, but if that is something that you run into a lot, that you have trash bags uh, full uh, of, of waste that you're throwing away of food at home and you're a part of that problem, there are many tools, tips and tricks that you can do to do that. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's occurring, that waste is occurring somewhere else and it's occurring uh, uh, um, at the farms and the, the production level. And we need, that's why we need to get a voice and do some climate action and, and raise the awareness of how to stop that broken food system. And, and the biggest thing is, is that's one facet of a big system. So that's only talking about just food waste, but then there's also distribution, logistics, resources, packaging, um, many, many uh, nutrition, health on food that need to be addressed to fix that, that problem on a global scale. Um, and so I, I want you to be aware with the knowledge of that. And if you want to know about the tools that in your home, in your life that you can apply, uh, vertical farming, sprouting, they have these small and big refrigerators and, and units for doing vertical farming at your house. You can do a garden, you can do a greenhouse, you can do ambient water harvesting in your apartment or uh, in your home that harvests five liters of ambient water just out of your apartment a day. It filters it with a filter and makes it drinkable and you're not using groundwater. And that's something that if the, the resources um, in your city somehow go bad, you still have clean, potable, drinkable water um, to use and there's many things like that that have existed for a long time that you could put in place if you truly want to be uh, a global food reformist and help that broken system because for years we were led to believe that the oil coal and gas industry that the fossil fuel industry was the number one cause of uh, human health problems and greenhouse gas emissions mm -hmm. and it's absolutely not true the number one is the agriculture, food, and beverage industry. Now, don't get me wrong, the oil, coal, and gas industry, they're still bad, and the automotive industry, they're still on the list, but they're much lower on the list. They're like number eight, nine, and 10 on the list. But the, the top problems actually is the agriculture, food, and beverage industry. And if, if you just use common sense and history, you know that that's our, our vital, most first beginning energy source of need. We do it three times a 
a day all over the world and what's happening now in this time of COVID. People are going to the grocery stores, buying all the toilet paper and food. The shelves are empty. There's food problems with not only restaurants and distribution and, and getting products, um, but also at the farmer level. And so we need to understand that and see how that ties to us. If I would never buy an electric vehicle and not know where I'm going to get the electricity for to drive my electric vehicle. Well, it would never have a body that needs energy, which is food, water, uh, without knowing where I'm going to get that from tomorrow. And we put that trust into 10 major companies, Unilever, Coke, Pepsi, Nestle, Mondelez, to provide us with our food staples. And that's not a very diverse food system. So we need to be careful and we need to think differently. How can we really create a resilient, desirable food system, a global food reform that, that supports us all worldwide? And how can we understand how we play part in that system? Sorry, I've talked to, talked to death. Uh, no, it's talking, amazing. But I, I really wanted you, you and your listeners to, to have that information because it's not told everywhere. Most people don't understand those things and, and how they can help or contribute. A lot of the blame is given on the consumer, and really it's not the consumer's fault. It's, it's a production fault. It's how we produce. They're still producing using outdated methods harming our planet and not making it easy for us to avoid food waste and to do things right or to eat healthy. This is, oh, I just love what you say. This is why your, your work at the Lower House Eco Centre is so important and your work with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals as a system, an integrated system of, complex, of complexity and, and everything that we do is so inter, interrelated. It's just, it's such an important message. And I've got so many more questions I'd love to ask you, but we're almost at time. I'm, oh, I just love to keep chatting. It's, it's just been amazing. Your, your insight is just incredible. If I may just ask you to touch briefly on Solar Impulse and Dr. Bertrand Picard. I hope I've said his, his name correctly because I'm a bit dyslexic sure. and I struggle yeah. to read. But his, his um, name is Dr. Bertrand Picard. He's the, the owner of Solar Impulse. Mm -hmm. and he's the first man to fly around the world in a solar airplane. And he's also the owner of a foundation or organization called 1000 Solutions which um, they try to collect as many solutions to solve our global grand challenges as possible, whether it's renewable energy or food or some kind of a solution or innovation or startup that solves the global grand challenges we're facing now and in the future. And uh, he's a wonderful man, a good friend of mine, and we see each other at a couple of events at the World Economic Forum in Davos and also at the United Nations climate conferences, the COPs, and uh, the last time I saw him was actually at COP25 in Madrid, but there was a special time where I saw him at COP24 um, in, uh, yeah, COP24 in Katowice, uh, Poland. And it was the first time that I saw him after he flew around the world in, in the solar impulse in the airplane. And I went up to him and I said, how was it? Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. And, and, and this is an amazing feat. Um, and he said, Mark, it was unimaginable. It was surreal. It was such an amazing thing. Changed my life. He said, have you ever 
ridden in a smart car and an all electrical vehicle. And I said, yes, I have. Matter of fact, just two weeks ago, I was in, in Venice at an event and, and they uh, was a sustainable event at uh, H farm and they uh, got all electrical vehicles, some smarts, some small little smarts. And we drove around and then to get back and forth from the hotels to the event. And I says, it was, it was crazy because they were so silent inside. I was waiting to hear a motor or something. He says, Mark, imagine that times 1000. He says, the way the solar impulse airplane works is it runs on solar power. It's all on the wings and on the top of the plane, uh, these solar panels. And what we do is we climb with the engines and the, the propellers just as high as we can to charge up those cells and get as high as we can. And then we turn those propellers off and let the solar cells charge back up um, and do what's called a very long gradual glide. So it's almost the plane becomes like a glider, but they're at such a high elevation, they push the atmosphere and then he turns off the propellers and then he just does this long gradual glide, could take hours before he turns on the propellers again, and that's given the, the solar cells time to charge and, and um, continue to get that energy. And he says, I was in one of those glides, and I looked off to the left of the solar panels on the wings, I looked off to the right on the solar panels on the right, I looked back at the instrumentation on my cockpit, I'm sitting on a toilet, I'm wearing a kind of spacesuit. I have all this technology and gadgetry, and he said, I said, I'm a rocket man. I'm a man from the future. I'm from the future. And uh, he like had this feeling and he says, but I was in the beginning of the glide and it was very silent and surreal and I could see the clouds and it was this vision and it was amazing. He said, but then I looked around again and it was so silent. Normally you hear the propellers and the, the wind is rushing and there's all this noise. It's usually pretty loud. He said, and then I saw everything and I said, I came to myself and I said, no, I'm, I'm living in the now. I'm in the present. I'm living in the present because all this technology, solar panels, airplanes, wings, propellers, all this technology, to put it all together, it's existed for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm just the first to put it all together and make it work. I'm living in the now. Everybody else is living in the past. They're living in old technologies and they're not jumping on board the clean technology revolution. And he said, we really need to make this transition. So that goes back to a story, my, my story of, uh, uh, starting out as a global citizen. I have family all over the world and I need to travel to see them. And, and uh, on boat is okay, but really I need to fly to see them. Well, I don't feel good about carbon emissions and I don't feel good about flying, but I want you to know out of all the carbon emissions, flying is, is the smallest factor compared to shipping industry and trucking industry and in automotive and, and other industries and agriculture beats them all mm -hmm. um, especially in transportation but I do carbon offsetting and I also have companies that that uh, capture carbon and, and make sure that my balance and offset is okay but more than that I want 
to continue flying in the future, but I want it to do it in the way that I explained to you earlier. It's not the products of the future, it's how we produce. And mm -hmm. I want to fly to visit my family around the world in, an, in a solar airplane or an electric airplane or one that uses uh, hydrogen fuel that is produced with renewable energy and doesn't have that impact on the environment. I want to, to kind of live in the future, not necessarily s Star Trek, but I, I'm hoping we can be intelligent enough to develop the innovations and in that clean technology that we can continue our business as unusual with renewable energy and a clean technology revolution. And so that leads me in to what happened next. So uh, Bertrand Picard uh, spoke live at the signing of the Paris Agreement um, to Ban Ki-moon and to uh, a large chamber of country delegates and envoys um, during the signing of the Paris Agreement. And he spoke while he was in the cockpit of solar impulse flying around the world. That's beautiful. And, yeah, and it, it was an, a historical moment. But that day was also a historical moment because it was the signing of the Paris Agreement. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know and everybody listening that it's a historical moment for the world. In 2015, 200, or in 2015, 193 countries came together, signed the Paris Agreement, and agreed upon the Sustainable Development Goals, a roadmap of targets and indicators to help us reach less than 1.5 degrees of warming by 2030. 193 countries. It was a historical moment. It's called the first ever global moonshot or earth shot. It's the first time in our history that so many countries have come together and made an agreement on a people protection planet peace insurance plan for our future. And um, I, I don't know if any of you have experienced the United Nations or even uh, the politics of states or countries, it is difficult for two countries to come together and agree upon where they're going to eat lunch, <laughs> yeah. let alone 193 countries all came together, agreed upon it, signed it, and ratified the Paris Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals. They are the world's ever first global moonshot but I have to apologize. So not only is it a historical event, but when it was released, when the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement were released, they were laid out from one to 17 in very bright colors. And uh, it was kind of like, here's the Sustainable Development Goals. We weren't explained how to understand them. We didn't get a good explanation. We clarification on how to see them and view them and understand them and that's where the problem kind of started or where we went wrong and that's why I apologize because when I tell people I'm a sustainable development goal advocate some people who do know what the sustainable development goals are they say oh I like number one poverty it's red it's my favorite color that's the one I'm working on and I say oh that's great I'm so glad you know about them 
but I want everybody listening to know it's virtually impossible to pick one sustainable development goal and not work on the others. If you were to pick no poverty, it would be impossible not to touch on zero hunger, quality education, sustainable cities and communities, climate action, life below water, life on land, and clean water and sanitation because they're all tied together as a system. And as I began this call or this podcast, uh, I, t I, I kind of told you how important food is and mm -hmm. how we need to look at it. Um, I want you to know that all 17 of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals are tied to agriculture, food, and beverages. Mm -hmm. And they're for us. They're not for a business. They're not for a city. They can apply them. They can use it. But it's for us, each individual, because it is our basic life source. It's our energy. It's where we get our resources to produce anything. And so not only are all 17 tied to food, but we need to look at them in a different way, kind of like a wedding cake or pie or chart with the bottom layer of those SDGs being with life on land, life below water, climate action, and clean water and sanitation, because that bottom layer of the SDGs is our biosphere. And that biosphere is where we get the resources to produce anything on this earth. And if we don't protect that, if we don't have that, we're not going to be able to produce cell phones, cars, mm -hmm. or food if that is not around in the future. And what we see is when we hit a pandemic or a problem or climate problems hit us, that's the first layer to go. And it's the most fragile. We need to learn to operate in, within our planetary safe operating spaces uh, of our planet. And... Um, so agree I, more. I just wanted you to know that so thank you no you speak about it so beautifully and i it's um i love the idea of seeing them in in this sdgs in in layers that you can see how they're interconnected and it's true that the bottom the bottom four layers that you mentioned are they're the found they have to be the foundation of every decision almost all of us make from from here on out really because we have this opportunity where we can start to rebuild things and i totally share your your vision and your desire to fly around the world in a solar powered plane. I absolutely love that. And I'm so proud to say that um, the solar light in this project is actually won the Solar Impulse Efficient Solution Award in 2019 in November. So I'm just- Congratulations, um, that's wonderful. We are so chuffed. So it's um, it's just, yeah, it's, um, we really hope that the these three steps in, in this project that I'm doing, number one is to eradicate your energy waste and your resource waste. Number two is to empower your purchasing. And then number three is to, using the solar light, contribute to quick and scalable emissions reduction. So it's by eradicating kerosene lamps. So it's, um, we're not quite tackling all the SDGs, but hopefully we've got, we're, we're getting quite a few in there, but it's... Um, I, I think you are. I think you're getting quite <laughs> a few in there, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Oh, I just, I'd love to, I'd love to keep chatting to you, but I, you're very important busy man and you've probably got lots more calls after this so um i'd love to just end here by um taking the opportunity to take a few deep breaths in and out and while we sit here breathing in deeply and breathing out deeply i'd love it if we could all just listen to mark's beautiful words of his manifesto of the united nations sustainable development goals take it away i would away, love mark. to do 
I would love to do that for you. And um, just before I start, I, I not only is this breathing so important, but if you can, while you're doing the breathing, I want you to really imagine yourself in 2030 standing there in a world of what I'm going to read to you. And, and I told you that um, the sustainable development goals were not really presented to us in the best way. Um, and we don't know how to look at them or how to see them. And that's why I wrote the, the UN SDG manifesto so we could envision what it would be like and feel like when we reach that point in 2030 so that we can have something to work towards and achieve. So I would like you, while I read this, to, to close your eyes and to breathe and to think what it would feel like to be in this world in 2030. Imagine a world where there is no poverty and zero hunger. We have good health and well-being, quality education and full gender equality everywhere. There is clean water and sanitation for everyone. Affordable and clean energy has created decent work and sustainable economic growth. Our prosperity is fueled by investments in resilient industry, innovation, and infrastructure, and that has reduced inequalities. We live in sustainable cities and communities, and responsible consumption and production has healed our planet. Climate action has stopped and reversed the warming of our planet, and we have flourishing life below water and abundant, diverse life on land. We enjoy peace and justice through strong institutions and have built long-term partnerships for the goals. So beautiful. I just, I feel it. I've got goosebumps everywhere. It's, um, it's such a euphoric and incredible world vision that I hope we can all share and all strive to work towards. And it's just, can't thank you enough for your, your incredible work that you're doing for each and every person on this beautiful planet, Mark. And just thank you so much for spending the time with me today. And I'd love it if you could just mention quickly um, where young people can find you online. So if you go to markbuckley.earth, and that's spelled M-A-R-C-B-U-C-K-L-E-Y dot earth, E-A-R-T-H. And if you go there, you can get my contact information, you can email me, you can see some of the projects and things that I'm doing and, and reach out to me, but I'm also on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and probably missing a few, but I'm all over. So I'm sure I'm not hard to find you are on YouTube. You can see a lot of my past videos or Ted talks. So I look forward to hearing from you, seeing you and I wish you guys all the best in this, uh, this time. I want you to be optimistic and positive and know that there are solutions to create resilient, desirable futures that we all want to live in. It's just beautiful. Thank you so very much. Uh, You're hopefully, most welcome. Oh, hopefully be able to chat to you again soon about the book. It would just be wonderful to hear your experiences there and all your plans for the future and stay safe and yeah. Just all the I best. will. You guys take care <laughs> to stay safe. Thanks, Francesca. Take care, Mark. Bye.